Open your copy of God's Word to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We'll look at the first half of it this morning. God provides for us four better choices, perhaps six. Uh, this is one of those um, sermons. The more I, I read this passage, the more I get out of it. Um, one of the things local pastors have to do is we preach every week, so you just have so many hours to study a passage, write a sermon, you got to move on. And you get to Sunday and say, I wish I had another week on this, or another two weeks on this, but you got to move on. But this is one of those passages where I wish I had one or two more weeks. I think it would just get better and better and better because there's just so much here. Wise choices for us, and there's a sense in which you have to have a little wisdom to even get what's here. Uh, so it's, it's, um, it's very full. Let me read it for you. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, first 14 verses. A good name, and notice as I go through, is better. You're going to see the word better eight times. It's wiser. A good name is better than a good ointment. And the days of one's death is better than the days of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Because that's the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as crackling of a thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad. A bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. And then the passage changes a little bit. Instead of using the word better, he chooses the word advantage. Verse 11, wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves lives of its possessors. Consider the work of God, who is able to strengthen, excuse me, straighten what he has bent. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Let's stop right there and see how much of this we can digest this morning. As we get into it, let's go back one verse. Go back to chapter 6, verse 12. I just love the question. 
Chapter 6, verse 12. For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime? What a question. Think about that. Who knows what's really good for a man during his lifetime? It's an excellent question. And of course, the answer for believers, we say, well, only God ultimately knows. Because God knows the beginning and the ending. God knows what is good for a man. He knows when we start. He knows where we're going to end up. So he's going to know what's good for us in between. But it's still an excellent question. Because it, it drives us to, a lot of people say, well, I don't know. But it drives us to say, well, God knows. And if God knows what's good for a man, we need to be seeking God for those answers. And then you get to chapter 7, and he says, let me give you some. Let me give you four or maybe six wiser choices. As you make choices in life, I want to show you how to make wiser choices. I'm sure you're making some good choices. But let's turn the good choices into better choices. Let's make wiser choices. One of the choices uh, everybody I talk to right now is trying to decide how to make is you, you walk up to somebody you got the shot yet I, I don't know you know everybody's trying to decide do I get vaccinated or not get vaccinated is it good for me is it better for me uh, I get reactions to so many things am I the one out of a thousand that's going to get reactions to this you know is it going to help me is it going to hurt me is it help other people help me love people you know there's just so many choices there, and the choices are based on a lot of assumptions and a lot of probabilities, and that's all we've got to go on. So what's the wiser choice? And we have stuff like that in our lives all the time. What's, I want to make not just a good choice, I want to make a wise choice. It reminded me, when I was in college, my uh, sophomore year, went back to school, you know, you when you end a semester, you always sign up for your room. Especially if you've, if you've been at school, you get privilege over the freshmen coming in. So I had signed up as a freshman for my sophomore year for a particular room assignment. And I get back to school, and they say, we don't have a record of that. I said, no, 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 you do. You know, this is supposed to be my room. And they said, no, no, we can't find it. And I said, okay, I'm not going to argue. Um, put me with a freshman. I, who doesn't have a room? I'll take a freshman for a semester, and then I'll move on to the room you were supposed to give me. And they said, okay, that sounds good. So I ended up with somebody I didn't know. And he was night and day different from me. I would have never picked him as a roommate, you know, that kind of scenario. This guy, he started every day at exactly the same minute. And he ended every day at exactly the same minute. He went to all his classes always on time. He never missed an assignment. He studied whenever he was not in class. He didn't matter whether the test was months from now or, or what. He studied every subject a little bit each day. He had a schedule. He went through it. And it, I, I could still hear him laugh one, one time. Yeah, uh, I had a test, you know, I came back from the test. He said, how'd you do? I said, I think I did pretty good. He said, but I got to crash now, I got to sleep. He says, why are you sleeping? He says, you didn't stay up all night studying, did you? And I said, yeah. And he went, <laughs> it's like, he was saying, that's stupid. 
Study a little bit every day. You don't ever have to stay up all night. That's just a bad choice. And I just, I mean, his choices and my choices were always different. What's the wiser choice? You may know somebody like you or different from you, and you say, we're always making different choices. What's the wiser choice? We have to deal with it. God gives us wisdom in uh, Ecclesiastes 7. And I want us to really think through it because you can apply this wisdom to a lot of the choices you're going to have to make. All of our choices determine our lifestyle and where we're headed. Wouldn't it be great if we were the ones making the wiser choices? Well, here's the first thing God tells us in verse 1, that when, as we're making choices, I put it down this way, leave a legacy. Think about, will this choice I make leave a legacy? The verse says a good name. So there's a good name, a good reputation. That's going to be the legacy. It's going to be better than good ointment. Sometimes we say first impressions make mean everything. Well, that's not what this verse says. No, no. A lasting impression, a long-term impression, a character reference means everything. A good name is better than, you know, that good smell appearance that you get, that first impression, better than a good ointment. A, could be like a good perfume. It's a higher grade of uh, perfume that he's describing there to describe it. Um, let me show it to you another way. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Here's uh, some directions for what a wife's to do in marriage. And it has the contrast that I'm looking for. 1 Peter Chapter 3. Verse 3 and 4 says, Your adornment. So think there, what you dress, how you dress, your perfume, however you want to think about it, must not be merely external, like fixing your hair, braiding the hair, or wearing jewelry, gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. But... Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Did you see the preacher is in trouble this week in the news? I think he made just every news network because he wasn't preaching from this passage. He's preaching on 1 Corinthians 7. But he says, all you wives out there, you need to stay skinny and attractive and available for your husband. Well, that didn't go over well. What does the pastor say? What is the wiser choice? Verse 3 says, there is an attraction that's right to take care of. This external outward appearance. But, verse 4, the wiser choice is the hidden person of the heart. If you've got a choice in how to behave, think about how your heart is being communicated. Are you a woman of godly quality, quality of gentle and quiet spirit? Do you have this quality that when God looks down from heaven, he says, I like that. 
that God's attracted. He says it's precious in his sight. That's the contrast I think we're seeing in Ecclesiastes 7. There are choices. A lot of people choose to be skinny and attractive. You can go for that. But there's a wiser choice. There's a character choice. There's a heart that's in the issue and in the matter. Do you leave a legacy? I remember uh, a girl that, that I spent time with in, in high school. Uh, she went off to a different college, got married, and I saw her a few years later. Now, in high school, she was very attractive. Everybody was very attracted to her. And uh, I didn't realize, but somewhere between when I saw her first or last and then the next time uh, after high school, she had gotten a total mastectomy with no reconstructive surgery. So her appearance changed drastically. And when I saw her, I didn't even notice. Uh, just you were so drawn in because she was this person that she always wanted to share Jesus with everybody. She always cared about people. You saw her love. You saw her passion. She looked at you and you could tell she was interested in you. And it just grabbed you. And as I walked away from her after that she had had that surgery, I told my wife, I said, something's different. I don't know what it is, but something's different. And I think it's my wife said, well, did you not realize she had a total mastectomy? I said, oh, I didn't even notice. She was one of those who was always making the wiser choice. She had such character that that's what attracted you to her. People saw it and knew her to be one who loved you well and always cared about you, cared about your life and where you were headed. And when she dies, what's going to be her legacy? She will be remembered someone who cares for people and loves people always drew people to Christ she will be remembered as one of the most beautiful women on the planet what will your legacy be you know see it's the context verse 1 and the day of one's death is better than one's birth so he's putting a good name with your death when you end up. I thought, this is, talking about evangelism question, this is a good one. Just go up to someone and say, you know, Jesus says, your death day is better than your birthday. What do you think he means by that? The day of one's death, death day, is better than one's birthday. As I wrestle with that, I think what he means by that is if, if you think about your death day, then you're living for something. You're trying to die well. You're putting effort into finishing the course well. On death day, you get to transfer your legacy. You get to pass the baton. You get to pass something off. You don't get to pass anything off on your birthday when you're first born. You don't have anything yet. Instead of living to stay alive, live to die well. And in dying well, you, mean, you begin to start thinking multi-generational. What am I leaving behind? 
What am I giving away? That's how death, because at death, it says, are you leaving a good name? When your smell, when your perfume no longer lingers, your name's still here. We still know who you are. We still know who you were. And that's, in that sense, death day is better than the day you were born. So when you die, it would be wise to be at that point and pass something on. What was your legacy? What will you leave the next generation? Well, they say when you're gone, he was always thinking about himself. He was always after something for himself. He was given to always winning at video games. He was given to an addiction to pornography he could never shake. He was always womanizing. Or she was always about her looks. Or will they remember someone who loved? Someone who was faithful? Someone who cared? Someone who was always thinking of others? Someone who always has God's praise on their lips. God's word in their heart. See, when you think about your death day, you will always end up making wiser choices than just thinking about your birthday. So let's make wiser choices. Let's make choices that leave the kind of legacy we really want to leave. Second, he gives us another way that life will be better. Not only leave a legacy, but I said learn when languishing. Obviously, I'm trying to alliterate. Maybe that's not the best thing. If I did this again, I'd do it different, okay? Uh, but sorrow. I mean, he talks here about, let me just read it again. Verses 2 through 4. It's better to go to a house of mourning. Mourning, languishing is the word I synonym I chose. Mourning or sorrow. Than to go to a house of feasting. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Who thinks that way? Again, he's trying to draw us into something that's better. Something that's wiser. We all want joy. We all want laughter. There's a place for a party. There's a place for feasting. We get that. But he says there's something better. And that something better is found when you're in pain, when you're mourning, when you're languishing, when the laughter's died. What is it that's better when all of the laughter kind of has died? And as I wrestle with that and look at other scripture, it seems to me that what's better is thoughtful reflection. When you get sick, what do you do? 
you lay around on the couch, right? And you think, why did this happen to me? Why do I have this? What good is this sickness, this illness, this affliction that has come upon me? Look at Psalm 90, verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. Psalm 90. Here's God's word, Psalm 90, verse 10. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it's gone and we fly away. Who understands? The power of your anger and your fury, according to the fear that is due you. Catch this, verse 12. So... Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. There again, you see the psalmist saying, you know, our death day is going to change how we live today. But he also says, God, we, we go through life and we, we, our lives are very limited. If we get a full life, we get 70, maybe 80. And that's over. He says, and all of those years are full of sorrow. He says, teach us, teach us, teach us. Let us be wise in our use of these limited years. He's, he's encouraging thoughtful reflection for himself. He's asking God to help him learn and to reflect on this life that we have. Uh, what do you learn when you think about life that God has given? One of the first things that comes to my mind is I think about my 70 years, maybe 80, is that what I have is a gift. And when I, I don't realize that, that I start mourning I go into that languishing mode, that sorrow. What I have is a gift. My wife's a gift. What a beautiful gift you are. God gave me you. My children are a gift. My church is a gift. My friendships are gifts. My parents are gifts. And what do you realize about gifts? You don't get to keep them. They leave you at some point. You don't get to keep them forever. You're limited to a certain number of days. And that, when you, you lose your gifts, or God takes the gifts back, many times it causes a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain. And why does God do that? I think one of the th reasons God takes the gifts back is because the gifts were never meant to compete with his affection. We're supposed to love what God gives us. And we love the people he puts in our lives. 
But when we start loving them more than we love God, sometimes he takes those gifts back so that we get back to loving God first and foremost. We go into mourning, and it makes us very dependent upon the Lord. And that's when he says, that's a wise place to be, the house of mourning. Because the house of mourning has now realigned you and directed you back to your first love. And you see that in times of mourning when you don't see it any other way. Nothing should compete for God's affections. A lot of people choose a lot of things to be their one and only joy, their one and only love, when it should be God and God alone. When that's the case, we need a house of sorrow. We need a place of mourning that drives us back to God. Well, there's more we could do with that. I just... But to begin to see that we need to learn when we're afflicted, when we're sick, when we're down, and to realize, no, don't fear the sickness so much. Our lives are supposed to be filled with it. It is a tool of God's to make us more and more dependent upon Him. Verses 5 through 7, listen when lectured. He talks about the wise rebuke in these verses. Uh, Verse 5, it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man. Now, obviously, that's qualified. Uh, A lot of people will rebuke you, admonish you, tell you what's for, tell you what they think, but that might not be wise. So listen to the rebuke of a wise man. But the focus here is don't shun it. Maybe... Even seek it. Uh, And the comparison is, what do you listen to? He says, the song of fools. The song of fools described there in verse 6, like crackling thorn bushes or whatever, they're very entertaining. And uh, we've spoken of this before. You know, when you get in your car, you turn on your radio or your podcast or something. Or when you're running, you're, you're listening in your earbuds. We're people who love to listen. And we make choices on what we listen to. And he's not saying that the songs of fool are bad. They're very entertaining. But what he's saying is it would be wiser not to shun the wise rebuke. Do you ever listen to wise rebuke? Now, you obviously do. I'm preaching to the choir at this point. There's a sense in which every time we come to hear preaching of the word of God, we're sitting under God and we're saying, God, correct me. Go ahead. Whip up on the boy if you need to. I want to be a new creation. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. That means I have to turn from sin and I have to turn to righteousness. So I have to be be transformed. I have to be changed. I have to be rebuked and so I can move forward. So there's a sense in which every time we choose preaching, we're doing this with Christ being our wise teacher from his word. And that's a wiser choice, but a lot of people don't go there. They shun church. They shun the Word of God. And they just turn on something that's very entertaining, described here like crackling bushes, uh, or it's just real dry sticks. You've uh, had an old 
dry Christmas tree. That's the crackling kind of illustration he gives here. It's very entertaining to watch that thing burn up. And we will turn on shows or put things in our ears that give us that sensation. It's, it's fun, it's entertaining, but how much better to be directed in a righteous course and path and away from sin. Um, let me share with you a couple or three verses. Look at Proverbs 12. I do this frequently, these three passages, in counseling situations. When someone says, I've been meaning to talk to you for years and years and years. And I said, well, that was wrong right there. Not meaning to talk to me, but putting it off for years and years and years. Why do we shun the wise rebuke? Why, why did you not come in sooner? Because I already know what you're going to say. You're going to rebuke me. Okay. So why shun that? Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. There's an abundance of counselors in this room. Listen to wise counsel. That's a wiser choice. That's a man of wisdom. Chapter 15 of Proverbs, verse 22. Without consultation, or wise counselor, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. You want success? You want a wiser path? Get, get yourself a lot of counselors. Wise counselors, chapter 19 of Proverbs, verse 20. Listen to counsel, accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. Remember, you don't have but 70, maybe 80. Why don't we do that wisely? One of the ways to do that is listen to counselors. There's a better choice. Find some wise rebuke. Put some wise rebuke into your every week. Never miss the preaching of God's word. Never miss small group meetings where a multitude of counselors can speak to you and you can use your counsel to speak to them. Uh, we need this rebuke to make wise choices. Don't make choices on your own. Seek wise counsel. Be ready to listen to the wise rebuke. All right, fourth, verses 8 through 10. Uh, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit's better than haughtiness of spirit. This is, I think, more difficult for me to really grasp all he's talking about because uh, he, then he moves into anger. So he's got patience. He says, don't be angry, verse 9, uh, for the anger resides in the bosom of fools. What a description. Those of you who struggle with anger, it says, anger reside in the bosom of fools. We've got to get out of the bosom of fools. We've got to get out of that category. And he's telling us a little of that here, that we need, instead of being quick to react, we need to be patient. In verse 10, do not say, why is it, in, why is it that the former days were better than these for it's not from wisdom that you ask about that. So as I put all that together, it seems to be he's describing the person who likes to sit around and talk about 
how good he was in the past. And there's some of us here that do that, you know. Let me tell you about when I played ball. I was good. Let me tell you back when I was racing cars. I was fast, you know, whatever. Let me tell you about back when I could play the guitar and sing. Man, people would flock. It, there's all kind of things we can do in the past, but what are we doing there? We're lifting up ourselves. We're praising ourselves. And the description is that, um, where was it? The, the patient spirit is better than the haughty spirit, verse 8. Be patient. When people want to praise you, be patient there. Don't get angry if they don't praise you enough. Don't start talking about your own praise. There's a sense in which it's just far better to be patient. Let God exalt you at the proper time. Our focus should not be on ourselves. Um, and that's what I mean by just latching our laud. I, I used um, laud because of kids at graduation. Boy, I, I wanted to hear that at my graduation. I don't think I did, not when they were calling my name. But, you know, they, they, they have this term for graduated cum laude. And she graduated summa cum laude. And laude is with praise. Or summa cum laude, with highest praise. We want to be able to say, our record shows we are somebody. We did something. We accomplished something. And it makes us mad if it's not about us. And I think God is saying here, there's a wiser choice. There's a wiser lifestyle. There's a wiser behavior. To be subdued. To be patient. Don't get angry about those kind of things. Learn to uh, not think so much about the former days than what days are we to be thinking about. These days, the days we're living in, instead of thinking about what we did, let's think about what we can do and how we can move forward and how we can be effective and fruitful. Uh, not quick-tempered, easily triggered uh, to get angry, to push ourselves up. Well, then verses uh, 11 through 14, I'm kind of drawing this out. It's just so much wisdom here, huh? so let me just move on. Like I said, when I was reading it, the, the language switches to an advantage over um, just something being better. So there's two things here that he clearly says is an advantage, and one is preservation, verses 11 and 12, that uh, an inheritance preserves you. It's an advantage to those who are still living. Verse 12, uh, for the wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. So he's just given an illustration. If your house burns down, your car wrecks, uh, something tragic happens, it's like money in the bank. If you have money in the bank, it's, it's, it helps you during those times. Where does he want to get us? He says, uh, uh, wisdom preserves, in the verse 12, wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. Having money in the bank is great preservation, but wisdom preserves you even more. So get wisdom more than that. 
look at Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. God speaks of man's riches and makes the contrast as well. Luke 12, 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, the teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. He said to the man, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to him, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. See, even if you've got a lot of possessions, it doesn't make you necessarily better, but wisdom will. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. And there, there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. So take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now you will own what you have prepared so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God see the contrast what if you you spend your life putting money in the bank great but then you die today well it doesn't help you at death it helps you during life so to live longer to live life be rich towards God use your riches for God wiser choice Wiser move, greater blessing, better to be rich towards God. You know, we, we talk about tithes and offerings each week. It's just a better place to start. To start by realizing God gave us life. Let's, what do we give back? We give a tribute to Him. It starts at 10%, but be rich. If God blesses you with more and more riches, then be rich towards God. So maybe that's a fifth thing to always be thinking of as you're making choices and then he goes to perspective verses 13 through 14 consider what kind of perspective do you have consider the work of God for who is able to straighten what he has bent we're all bent people we're bent on sin who can straighten that out who can fix it again the answer only God Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that the man will not discover anything that will be after him. You know, when coronavirus hit, I made this statement early on. I said, this is from God. This is easy as it from every, anything else. Certainly, we realize God didn't cease being sovereign when a virus hit. One comes from God, the other comes from God. Both good times and bad times. So who stops to have God's perspective on it? What does God want us to do? Not what the others want us to do, but what does God want us to do? And then we discover, um, you know, when you stop and ask that question again, that good times and bad times, nice times and nicer times, rich times and rich times, whatever, they both come from God. So what's the right choice? And you start going, if you get God's perspective, God, do you want me to leave a legacy or do you want me to just not care about it, live for myself? What's the wiser choice? God, do you want me to listen to wise rebukes or want me to just entertain myself as I spend my days on earth? 
See, there's wiser choices. And you can go back through the list of choices God gives us here, the wiser ones to make, and say, well, that's what God wants me to discover. Uh, who discovers it? Great question. God's made the one as well as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. The only way we make the discoveries of these wiser choices is, is if it is disclosed to us by the one who has all wisdom. And that's God. Non-Christian scientists, whoever, will not discover the truth unless God allows, unless God gives them the truth. And he does. All truth, though, is God's truth. We, all, we can't discover it in and of ourselves or in our own strength. Knowing that makes us always seek God's truth. Uh, we have limits. We have cognitive limits just as well as physical limits. We can only go so far. We need God to help us. Who knows? Remember, I started with the question, chapter 6, verse 12. Who knows what's good? Who knows the wiser choices? Well, God does. I love this description of Christ. I'm going to leave it with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. There's a lot here, and I just want to give you one word of it. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom. Think about that. He became to us more than that. Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But Jesus Christ is our wisdom. If you're here this morning, so you've been trying to do life, and you can keep trying to do life for 70, maybe 80 years, and then you will die. And you'll face God. Have you made wise choices? Have you made the wiser choices? Where do you find wisdom? You find wisdom in Christ. Let Christ be your wisdom. Seek his word, his way. Seek him Pray back to him, God, I can't discover what to do next. But Christ already knows it. Give me Christ that I may be wise. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word so that your people do not flounder in making dumb, ignorant choices. Father, we get so tempted by this world, so deceived by Satan that we often mess up. Father, we don't want to get to the end of our days and say, oh, woe is me, I have messed up. The choices I made, they were not the right choices. Father, turn us from bad, wrong choices now. Turn us to a place where we have a grid so that we can evaluate, we can consider what we see and hear and listen to and what's going on about us and around us and that we can become the wise men and women, the wise children of God that you have designed us to be. And may it be evident to those we meet that Christ is our wisdom. May they see Jesus. For we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.